Welcome to the Warrior Women Project podcast, helping you become a warrior woman, sort your shit and find better balance in your life. Hey, so in this podcast today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Cole Chance. So I got to meet Cole at a weekend workshop that she was delivering in Glasgow. It was arranged through my yoga teacher and mentor and friend, Mark Russell. And while she was telling her story on the workshop, I was just thinking, wow, I would really love to have her on my podcast to share some of this story. And then the next day when we came in, Mark said to me, oh, it'd be really cool for you to have Cole on your podcast. And I said, yep. That's exactly what I was thinking yesterday and she agreed to do it. So I caught up with her a couple of days later in Mark's house to have a chat to her and this is the podcast. So I really hope you enjoy it. She's got such an amazing and inspirational story. And yeah, tune in, enjoy it and obviously if you love it, give us some feedback. I don't know. record there. So welcome to another episode of the Warrior Women Project podcast. This is Warrior Women Jen here and today I have a very special guest. So I've just spent a weekend doing a workshop with the very lovely Cole Chance. So welcome to the podcast, Cole. Thank you. Could you introduce the introduce yourself even to the listeners and just tell them a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Yeah, hello everyone. I'm Cole Chance and I am a yoga teacher. Um, I came from a background of um, a background of drugs and alcohol and I found yoga or yoga found me through that and kind of pulled me out and now I have been teaching for about five years and kind of spreading just some of the medicine that it gave to me mm. and yeah I'm really fortunate to be able to kind of travel around the world and do what I love and share with people so just kind of living living the dream at the moment yeah, so, yeah. awesome and this is your first time in Scotland first time in Scotland first time in the UK wow yeah, yeah. how are you finding it I love it I love it it's really beautiful it's colder than I thought it was going to be <laughs> but I'm wearing layers. I lived in Colorado for a really long time in okay. ski resorts, so yep. I'm used to cold weather. I just haven't been in it in a long time. Yeah, so you need to reclimatize. Right, right. And then I, I guess I thought, even though Mark told me, or my friend Mark told me um, that it was going to be cold, I guess I just assumed in July it would be warm, <laughs> but no. But I am getting a little better at the accent, at uh, understanding the accent, which yeah. I think is, I love it. I love it, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it can be challenging mm-hmm. at first for people because it's interesting. I this podcast um, obviously goes out online, and I've got listeners predominantly in the UK, but I've got US, Denmark, Japan, mm. Australia, mm-hmm. Ireland, like all over the world. People listen, and I always wonder how do they find listening because I'm, yeah. I've got I've been told I've got a very broad Scottish. Accent. Okay. I don't think I've got a very broad Glaswegian accent, but mm-hmm. somebody else might tell you. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because it's, it's it's different because like obviously I can't understand Italian. Yeah. You know, it's a different language. But for it to be so close, yeah. You know, then it's like, huh? Because then I get bits of it, and yeah. I just either fill in the blanks or I yeah. It's just it's been really funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, language is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really, I really, really enjoyed the workshop that we did at the weekend. So it was mm. from chaos to clarity. It was called, mm-hmm. and you asked some really, really interesting questions mm-hmm. over um, the weekend. Where did those questions come from? Like, are they questions that have been asked to you over time that you've gone, oh wow, that was really insightful, and I want to ask other people to get that same, or were they just things that? come to you intuitively well there's just kind of things that come to me but I'm sure I've picked some of them up yeah um like for reading I'm a I'm an avid reader but for the most part things that just kind of come up so I do several I do lots of uh, retreats and things mm. so we'll kind of you know we've played that game at retreats prior yeah. so we'll think of, of different questions depending on the theme and um yeah just kind of really provocative uh thought thought-provoking questions yeah. what's your favorite thought-provoking question well, lately it's lately it's the um, what do you want to people to see about you, mm. and then the reverse of what do you not want people to see about you. Yeah, just because I think that that they're two sim- simply worded, simple questions, but they bring up so much. Yeah, like they're they're so potent. Yeah, and I think that uh, that's been the that's been the most fun question to ask as of late. Because it just really gets people thinking and kind of digging. Yeah. And it makes people uncomfortable in those questions. Like that. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But it also gets you thinking about how do you want to show up in the world? So yeah. if you want people to see you in a particular way, mm-hmm. you have to then do the actions to show up as that. Right. And if you don't want somebody to see you a certain way, then you have to do the reverse. You have to work on mm-hmm. letting that go, letting that negative whatever it is that you you're holding on to go so that you don't show up as that person right yeah Yeah. it's really interesting because the things that often the things that we like don't want people to see about us we often they're they're pieces of us anyway it's like our shadow side it's something that you can't get rid of but the more that we hide it or the more that we like try to deny it then it comes out in all of these sideways ways through like anger jealousy or um you know, hidden addiction, which is so prevalent. These things that we don't want people to know about us, they, then they just create so much shame when, you know, like in the exercise, when whenever we, everybody shared about what it is that you don't want people to see, those are the things that we all have in common. Yeah. You know, and even though the stories are different, yeah. on the outside, it's it's all the same feelings of like fear and shame and yeah, because out, out of that group of 25 people that we had, there was probably only about 10 or 15 very, like, different things. So right. there was fear came up loads of time, insecurity came up loads mm-hmm. of times, uncertainty came up loads of times, right. and it's like you don't realise everybody else yeah. has those same negative things right. as you do until it's highlighted, and then you go, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because those things tend to isolate us. Yeah. And we let it isolate us because we don't talk about it. Yeah. When you can be really refreshing just to to be able to talk about it. And it doesn't, you don't feel so alone. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is so that people can share the stories mm. and other people can then identify parts of a story or feelings and things like that that other people have had so that yeah. they go, all oh, right, okay, that I can get over this or they've gone through something similar. So I know that. I can then find the strength to be able to get through it as well, whether they reach out to the person that's been interviewed or reach out to myself mm-hmm. or 
read a book that somebody recommended or something mm. like that and they go all oh, right okay there's a there's light at the end of the tunnel yeah and that's something that's so beautiful about technology and the, yeah. you know, the way that we can share like this like there's we can create such a broader network of support through media and yeah. through um technology so that's a win for technology it's got a lot of <laughs> it's got a lot of not wins but it's definitely definitely a win yeah definitely so you touched on very briefly in your introduction to yourself that you found yoga as part of your journey from addiction can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and that part of your story yeah um so I started drinking whenever I was about 13 mm-hmm. and you know I had a really good childhood and uh, loving came from a loving family the only thing I can really think of as of now is that I was quite extroverted and my parents were quite introverted. So I may have been a little bored, maybe. Yep. But really, what I kind of remember happening is that... So so that boredom might have created some seeking. Yeah. Like some looking for some things. But whenever I was about 13, my parents... Or my friend's parents were out of town and we... Um, had gotten to their alcohol and it's like up to that point I hadn't realized that my life was like in black and white Mm. and then whenever I was drinking it's like all of a sudden everything turned into technicolor and it was I was excited and felt connected and it's like everything kind of clicked all of a sudden and I remember swimming in her pool in like an inner tube and I was looking up at the stars and I was like in awe like in wonderment and I remember saying to myself I'm going to do this forever. Like, I clearly remember that. Yep. Like, I am going to drink forever. Like, who says So that that you could feel that bliss. So I could feel that bliss. Connected feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally blissed out. And so, essentially, that's what I tried to do (laughs) for the rest of my (laughs) life. And it didn't work out well. Um, Yeah, so I just really became, that's, you know, really became, that's what we wanted all the time. You know, in school, it's what we talk about. When, when, when can we get somebody's older brother to get his alcohol, you know, first or something like that. Yeah. And then you get older and you get fake IDs and you can get it yourself. And then you're sneaking out of the house and I moved out, I moved out of my parents' house early to party and kind of wasted college away and went to like four different colleges and kind of like left all of them to party. And, you know, it was fun for a long time, even though pretty early I knew that I was Pretty early, I knew I was an addict um, or an alcoholic. I started at probably in twenty, probably around twenty-one. I started drinking in the mornings, okay. so I started feeling kind of depressed. And I'm not a depressed person; like that's not really in my my constitution. Yep. And you know, really, it was probably like all my serotonin being so low or hangovers or something. But one morning, I was like well, I'm going to drink some of this vodka and some juice. And I remember that that made me feel better. Mm. And I'd started shaking already at that, about that age, 2022. Yeah. And so I was shaking in the mornings. And then also, so if I drink in the mornings, that would take the shaking away. Yeah. So I was like, ah, oh, sweet. It was like a little hiccup. I was like, things aren't going so well. I don't know what's wrong. I don't feel good. I feel depressed. Let me try to drink in the morning. I'm like, oh, perfect. Okay, carry on. Like, really crazy. And um, so, you know, I went to about six treatment centers through my 20s. 
And I would, you know, I'd get really, really sick. I was very severe. So I'd get really sick and I'd end up in a rehab that my parents would help me go to. But I never didn't want to get better. It was like I was too young to get sober. Yeah. And I just wanted to figure out how to do it right. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to, like, you know, I didn't need to drink in the mornings or I would only drink on the weekends or I only needed to do cocaine on the weekends or whatever it was. I was going to figure it out. So it never lasted. You know, once I drank on the plane home, um, it was just I would get so sick and tired. It's like I just needed to go and rest. Very expensive rest. <laughs> my mom probably wants to shake me when she hears these um, but you know it eventually it was becoming more and more clear that I was very I was incredibly um, um, dependent so physically I had um, a grand mal seizure when I was about 24 wow Actually, I had went home. I was living in California, and I went home for my grandmother's funeral. And so, even though I was drinking a little bit there, like with my uncles and things like that, we'd have beers and stuff, and I was even hiding drinking some alcohol because I kind of felt like I, I had to. I mean, yeah. I was at that point. But I wasn't drinking as much as I was, like, at all. So, so it's did you kind of tick a box down. that, because you had cut down, that that was okay? You say again? Was that like ticking a box for you because you had cut down? That, oh, that, that I was, was doing okay? okay? Well, I was thinking, I hadn't ticked a box yet, but I still, I was in denial. So I thought that yeah. I was fine, that I was just choosing to do this, even though, you know, obviously I wasn't. But what had happened though is, um, so when your body is flooded with a chemical of toxicity and then you stop, yeah. it goes into shock. So even though I didn't completely stop, I cut down so much that I had a grand mal seizure on the day of my grandmother's funeral. And so I, uh, which essentially looks like me in an exorcist position and completely blacked out. My family was all staying at my parents' house and I kind of came to with my uncle kind of rushing me up the stairs with my body like completely like spread eagled, like stiff. Like, yeah. every muscle in my body was cramping. And they couldn't even get me in the MRI machine once they got me to the hospital. So, it was bad. It was really bad. So, I was there for several days. And um, even that, they're like, you have a substance abuse problem. Yeah. Like, this is what this is from. It's a withdrawal seizure. Yeah. That I would, like, look online and I would find 1% of seizures, grandma seizures, are due to stress. Yeah. And I'd be like, it's my grandmother's funeral. It's stress. Yeah. It's not this. You know, so really deep denial, and I went back out to California and just carried on. But from that point on, then I was always really kind of nervous. So I actually used that as an excuse. So whenever people would tell me I drank too much or they tried to take my alcohol or whatever reason was going on, I would be like, I have to have some or I might have a seizure. Yeah. Like I have to have a little bit. So that kind of became an excuse, but also fear. Um. So it just kind of continued on, I mean, really for, like, a long time, a long time, in and out of rehabs, in and out of hospitals. I was in the hospital a lot because I would get scared that I was going to have a seizure. And what they do is they give you benzodiazepine, which is essentially Xanax or something yeah. like that, yeah. which calms the nervous system so that it won't, so that it won't, um, you won't flip out. Um, because alcohol withdrawal is deadly. Yeah. You, you can't, which is really interesting, that, like, heroin withdrawal is a worse withdrawal 
but you can't die from it. Mm. But alcohol withdrawal, you can die from. It shocks your system so much. It's really interesting. That that's legal and yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it was really dangerous for me to ever try to quit by myself. So I normally mm. go to the hospital. I decide I'm going to go to the hospital. Like I'm done. I'm going to go to the hospital and I want my medication. And then I would like take my IVs out and leave and I'd go home. And then maybe I'd be there like two days later. Yeah. And then like two days later, it's just madness, really madness. But kind of in the end, oh, well, I took my first yoga class at one of these treatment centers and, um, I remember being there and I was a mess. I normally woke up in treatment. Like, it was something that I decided when I was all wasted. And then, yeah. like, I would wake up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, where am I? Damn it. <laughs> so that's what happened. And um, so I was in California then. And I remember going to a yoga class and I, like, laid down on the ground. And it was so beautiful. The space was beautiful. There was, like, redwood trees and birds chirping. And it was gorgeous. And I just felt horrible. And it's like I could smell myself. And I was shameful and I was angry like, how did I end up here and here again? Like, I kept thinking I just messed up. Yeah. Like, I just did something wrong to get myself in here. And, um, and I remember doing yoga that month and, you know, really finding some connection in my body and in myself when I, where I didn't realize I was disconnected. I mean, it was obvious to the outside person that I was. Yeah. But because I started drinking and using drugs to feel connection, I thought that I was using for that. And really, when I wasn't drinking or using, I felt disconnected just because I was sick. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was kind of like a medicine and a poison. It was making me sick, but if I didn't have it, I needed it to feel better. Yes. So. And then you kind of get stuck in that loop. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to then see a path out of it when you're stuck in that loop. Yeah. There's no space to see. Yeah. If you're just, the problem's like, was like, I was wearing it on my face. Like, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't see it. And, um, so that yoga class gave me, that yoga class really gave me some perspective. And I remember saying that, you know, if I ever get this sobriety thing figured out and I really didn't want to, Mm. I even thought that whenever I was thinking that I was thinking if I do, which I don't, (laughs) I'm going to look into this yoga thing. Yeah. So it kind of planted a seed. And, uh, it wasn't until, until years later that I got sober, probably five or six years later. But every time I had a little break in sobriety, I would go to a yoga class. So I was being drawn. Yeah. So I kept going in and out of yoga classes and I wouldn't go that much, but it always felt so good in my body. And it always felt like the teacher was like dropping these little wisdom things, like just for me. Like it felt like it was just for me. And, um, it really got me to start kind of questioning some things, yeah. you know, some of the themes and things they would use different. I don't remember exactly what they were, but whatever they were, they were potent for me. And so I kind of reading some books a little bit. And I remember Buddhism, like you weren't supposed to drink. And I was like, well, that's out. <laughs> and you know, all these things. And, uh, but was started to get really curious about it. And, um, in the end, I had one of my worst relapses. I had a bunch of really bad ones. I don't know if this is the worst one, but in the end I'd started doing shooting heroin. And uh, that's something that I hadn't done before. Yeah. So that was new. It's something I always said I wasn't going to do just because I knew my personality and my tendencies. But in the end I was um, shooting heroin and cocaine. So I essentially overdosed in the end and had a stroke. 
and scared, scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Really, really scared me. More than the seizures had. More than the seizures had. Yeah. And I think I was in so much denial around the seizures. Yeah. That it was like, no, it could be stress or I don't know. Yeah. But at this point, this is like six, seven, eight years later, I was like staying at a crack house. Yeah. And like living at a motel. And like I had gone way much farther down. You know, I started out on like yacht parties and partying in mansions and partying and all these. Like we were, we would maybe be smoking, smoking crack, but we were smoking crack in a mansion. Yeah. So that was already. It was okay. Yeah. And then in the end, I was like at the crack house, and it was a little more apparent that things yeah. have shifted. And um, so I think I was a little more aware, and I was more scared, and I was really realizing, like, oh man. So whenever that happened. You know, I kind of had this this realization that actually someone had told me before in a treatment center. Because I remember asking her, how did you do it? Like, I was completely confused. Like, how did you do it? Yeah. And she had told me that, you know, I finally realized that I could be higher, I could be happy. And that the two are never going to go together again. Yeah. That they used to go together. Yeah, right at the start. And hooked in. But they are never, ever going to go together again. Yeah. And it's futile. And I remember that coming into my, coming into my mind, and I was just like, it's never going to work, ever. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with making it work. And finally, I don't know why that, why that time. It's like, I'm sure everyone who is watching me self-destruct, you know, everybody knows. And then me finally, I'm like, oh, hey, guys, this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but they always say if you're coming out. To, before anybody can come away from this thing that they're addicted to, they need to make that decision. Yeah. This is it. Nobody can no one entice can you. Nobody can convince you. Right. It has to be that decision inside you. It does. Yeah. It does. And it's so crazy. It's so crazy because, I mean, like I said, it was so obvious and apparent. I was very sick. But the denial that we're in, it's like a brainwashing. Mm. It's like I brainwashed myself. And yeah, then just one day I'm like, oh, this isn't working. Um, crazy, crazy. And, but then I, you know, I reached out to a sober living house and uh, they got me in in a few days. And when I walked in there, I, I remember them telling me actually that we can't take you in. I'd already been kicked out of this place for like hiding wine bottles around the house a few months prior. So I don't know why they took me back, but they did. And, uh, they told me to be there like on a Wednesday and I showed up on like a Tuesday night because I was like staying across from a liquor store and I was like, oh my God, I got to get in there. And right when I got in there, it was like, Phew, this huge weight was lifted off of me. Yep. Like in a community of people who were trying to get sober and like, trust me, sober living is not fun. There's nothing like, you know, there wasn't anything exciting about it, but I felt safe Yeah. and that I needed that because I would have changed my mind. Like yep. I know I would have changed my mind. And, um, I got myself soon after that, I got myself back into a yoga class and I walked in and I got in child's pose on my mat, which, you know, every time I made it back into a yoga class, especially after like a stint of it, not, um, of things being really chaotic. Yeah. Um, it was always like I was touching home base, like, okay, I've made it back. Like I might have a chance, you yeah. know, it felt safe. And, you know, this time I got on my mat and I just really lost it. Like, I really lost it. And it was just bawling and crying. And, you know, I really realized that 
I can't, I don't have any more chances. Like, I can't keep going back and forth. And I was really scared. And, yeah, really hopeful and really scared, though. Because, one, scared that I was going to die. But almost just as scared of getting sober. Yeah. Because I didn't know what I was going to be like without the drugs and the alcohol. Like, it started so young before yeah. you, like, because you go through these recurring phases, like when you're about 18, who am I? When you're about 25, who am I? When you're about right. 30, who am I? And you go through that, so you all of those phases kind of and missed out on them, mm-hmm. essentially, because the drugs and alcohol were... Well, every time that who am I came up, it was that's what I was. I yeah. was a party girl. Yeah. I was a... I so deeply resonated with this party and lifestyle. Mm. Like, that's who I thought it was. Yeah. And when you look and you're seeing the mansions and the yachts, it all looks very glamorous and everybody looks yeah. like they're having a ball and you want to be part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's easy. It gets sucked in. Of course, of course. And it was like, so that was my mask. That was my, who I wanted people to think I was. And... I was terrified that I was going to be like a shell of a person. Like I thought I would be like a walking body. Yeah. I didn't know if I'd have any personality. I didn't think I'd ever be like happy, much less like joyful or excited. Because when I drank and I used, I used to be excited. Like I was really kind of manic, like really excited. And I never thought that I would feel excitement again or passion or any of these things and um that was terrifying to me like it was I thought that sobriety would be horrible like I really did I really thought it was going to be horrible yeah and of course no one could convince me and like it's so crazy to think back about like that just blows my mind like I live such a full and incredible life now thinking that like once upon a time I was like wasted and broken thinking that this life was thinking I was living yeah, you know? thinking that was your best option. Yeah, yeah. Time. And, like, I didn't want this, what I have now. I mean, I didn't know what it would be like, but I think that uh, that's really common. We identify so much with what we're used to and what... We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So that's really, yeah, really what it was. And But once I kind of shifted, once I kind of finally gave up is really what happened. I kind of just gave up. And then I started to take my power back. One thing that really helped me is that, you know, one of my counselors always hated hearing no. Like, no, you can't. Or things like that. So she would tell me, don't say that you can't drink. Tell yourself you can drink. You choose not to. Yeah. Like, put it, you know, use... You're reframing it. Reframe it in an empowering way. Yeah. That really helped me. That really helped me a lot. And then also telling people about it. I had I had had a lot of shame around it. Mm. And I relapsed often just if somebody would offer me a drink. I just didn't want to. I was like, uh, yeah. It was easier to say yes than say no. Yeah. I would I would waste like, you know, weeks of sobriety on that. Yeah. Just because I didn't want to. I just thought, like, I don't know what I thought. But so whenever I started to tell people, like, no, I'm in recovery or no, I'm sober. I, I remember thinking that, you know, people would be like horrified or something. 
And I remember the first time I told somebody, it's like, I wish I knew who this, who this guy was. He like asked me out on a date or if I wanted to go get drinks. And I remember I was like, I can't drink. I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Or like it came out like, so because I like, it was so uncomfortable in my mouth. Yeah. Like to be able to say it, that I'm sure I just freaked him out. Like I like way overshared. Yeah. And, uh, but then I figured it out and was able to do it a little more, you know, more, um, more naturally and <laughs> realize that nobody cares. And for the most part, people would ask me questions about it yeah. or they would share issues that they have or issues that their loved ones have. So it was really interesting. That was a really big step, but I, I went and did my yoga teacher training in that same place that I like had the massive breakdown yeah. about six months later. And, you know, I realized that I had to stay on my yoga mat, that that was, you know, yoga, yoking connection. Like, that's really where I was finding, you know, the connection within myself. That feel like a safe space for you. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, it still is. And, you know, one thing that I always wanted to do my whole life is that I wanted to travel. Ever since I was little, I wanted to travel. Yeah. And I traveled around the country a lot. I went to rehab. Every rehab I went to was in a different state. <laughs> it's on a rehab tour. It's one way to see the country. <laughs> one way to see the country. I'd like go to a couple festivals and then I'd go to rehab and then get back out and go to a couple festivals. But, um, that I always wanted to travel. And I was asked fairly early on, probably six months in or something like that into sobriety to, um, to go and travel and to teach, um, some Thai massage. So I was already a massage therapist prior so to teach some Thai massage in Thailand. And then also I got asked to work on a ship doing some massage in the Mediterranean. Nice. And I was like, wow. And so I left, I don't know, probably nine months sober and everyone was terrified. Because in my past, that would have been the perfect time. I'd just escape and fall off the map. Yeah. You know, no one knows what I'm doing. And I remember, like, people were drinking and, like, I was so wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. I was like, oh, like, I didn't want anything to do with it because this is what I'd always wanted. Yeah. And I couldn't have them both. So if I had that drink, then I couldn't have this. And that was really big for me because I think that everybody needs something, whatever it is. We spend so much energy on our addiction, like 200% of our energy is on our addiction. It's a complete obsession. So whenever you take that away, it's like that energy doesn't go anywhere, even though it doesn't need to like turn into an obsession of something else, but that energy that you extend, expend yeah. has to be transferred somehow. Otherwise you're just kind of spinning. You're sober and you're spinning. So I got, feel like I got really lucky in beginning to travel soon and, you know, I really haven't stopped since. So maybe it is an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> so how long is that you've been traveling? About four years. Oh, nice. Where's your favorite place that you've been? Um, well, Bali, which is where I live now, or where I, where I'm moving to, Bali. Um, my new favorite place is Guatemala. Yeah. So I think that I want to move there. I've always wanted to move to Bali. Now I'm actually moving there. Now I want to move to Guatemala. <laughs> That's just like how I am. Yeah. Once I finally get to Guatemala, then I'll be wanting to go somewhere else. But it's just one of those things. And I really, really love Morocco. I don't think I could live there, but I love Morocco. Yeah. Just everything I'm wearing right now is from Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. I'll get a picture of this and I'll make the, this picture so that people can see what you're wearing. <laughs> nice, nice. So the first time that you felt excitement sober, do you remember that? Mm. 
You know, I think that I think that I do because I was going to see a band called Widespread Panic that I used to listen to all the time. So I used to go to their shows all the time. It's kind of a cult following band. Like you travel to see them, and there's always tons of drugs and alcohol. It was always a big party, and they were coming to Austin, which is where I was living, Austin, Texas. And my friend, me and my friend were going to go, and we were going to go sober. And I was so nervous about going that I almost, I remember I was living in the sober house. He had to come pick me up at the sober house on his motorcycle. And I remember wanting to call him and tell him that I couldn't go, like mm-hmm. make something up. But I think I even did try to call him, but he was on his motorcycle, so he couldn't pick up. Because I got this fear that... Um, what is going to happen if I go and I don't like the music? Mm. Like, if all of that was just fake. Yeah. And that was just breaking my heart even thinking about it. And, like, not in my chest. Oh, my God. And we got there, and I was so nervous. And then the music started playing. We were in... And it was amazing. And it was so much fun, and I was dancing, and I was sweaty, and and I think that that's the first time that I felt excitement without without uh, drugs and alcohol. Was it scary? Yeah, it was scary because like allowing yourself to feel excited. Yeah, 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 because for me, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, excitement was more trigger for me than like depression yeah, yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what I drank for. So when I get excited, often... Cause I remember when we first bought the tickets. I was really excited that we got the tickets. And then I had a crash afterwards. Because I realized I wouldn't be drinking. Yeah. Because excitement meant alcohol or meant drugs or something. So every time I would get excited, there'd be like a little crash. But... You know, I was able, starting to get over that, but it was just interesting that that was one of my triggers. I didn't meet a lot of people that that was, that that was the same, that often their triggers were kind of different. Yeah. But yeah, now I get excited about stuff all the time. And it's all right to be excited. It's all right to be excited. (laughs) Yeah. That's so good. Do you, through your yoga, I noticed on your website that you do like yoga recovery. So do you work with people who are struggling with addiction and introduce yoga to them yeah and I used to more whenever I was living in Austin I would go to treatment centers and stuff more whenever I was not traveling as much so now I'm traveling more but I'm doing some like some one-on-one coaching with some people which is on my website and then I'm getting ready to start doing a yoga and recovery series that I think I'm actually calling chaos to clarity and it'll be a series of yoga classes and kind of talks and meditations and some mantras and things like that on different themes. Yeah. And that'll be geared towards the, uh, the recovery community Yeah, because I really, I love teaching yoga. Um, but I love teaching yoga to people in recovery even more because they're like my people. It's like we speak yeah. the same language and we were just at a treatment center here in Scotland today. And I mean, these people are from a different country and I just right away I can connect. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know, yeah, I think when it's easier for them to look at you and go, I get, mm-hmm. I can maybe get there. Like, you're an inspiration because you have walk, walked 
a similar path to them. Mm. Whereas if somebody, like, if I went in and taught them yoga, they would probably enjoy it mm. and get something from it, but they wouldn't necessarily see that as as inspirational because I haven't walked on that same path, yeah. like that same part of the path as them. Yeah, we're really interesting that we think that, uh, and this isn't just for, like, alcoholic fanatics, but really for everyone, like, you don't understand me. You know, like we have this, this thing of like, we're different, uh, with whatever it is really like somehow we're different and you know, you can't connect, but, but I mean, there is really something to be said about having the same experiences, Mm. even though in people with, even, you know, with people with addiction though, our experiences are all different, Yeah, but we can kind of share the same language. Mm. around around it which I think is really potent and really really powerful it just allows people to open up a little bit more yeah and to um yeah to have some hope and inspiration and then also feel heard there's a lot of shame that goes along in addiction that probably especially newer in addiction is not easy to share with people who you don't feel like understand yeah yeah so yeah, so it's really special. I love doing it. So I'm excited. Excited for the new project, for sure. Yeah, that'd be good. And what else have you got coming up? I've got several retreats coming up. Let's see. I have one in two in Thailand. We're going to northern Thailand for a week. See the elephants. Um, stay at this beautiful place in the rice fields. Then doing a sailing and yoga trip in southern Thailand. Nice. Which will be incredible. We yeah. just sold that one out. Uh, hopefully to do n- another one next year. And then Portugal in May for a week. And then hoping to come back here. I'm looking at that place in Scotland uh, to maybe do a retreat yeah. in Scotland. Amazing. I hear that place is really nice. The Atlantic Lodge. Eco Lodge. Eco Lodge. Eco Yoga yeah, Lodge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, maybe. So we'll see. But I'll be back here in Europe next summer. So I plan on doing some things in Italy and maybe Greece. And I don't know what's going on yet. But I'll, pre- I'll pretty much be here in the summer. Yeah. And then... Um, I don't know. Then Guatemala, and then I think I'm back in Laos in Asia, so I have no idea what I'm doing. But I love it. The world is your oyster, quite literally. It is. It is. And, like, literally, I could have, you know, the drugs and alcohol or the world. Yeah. I mean, like, those are my options. Yeah. So that really, it makes it, like, a really easy decision for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm super lucky. I feel really fortunate. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's really interesting. Is there anything else that you want to share or say just before we finish up? Um, Just one thing I think that I'll share based on what I mentioned about, you know, not we can't know what we don't know is it's that place of uncertainty that we're not, it's so hard to be in. It's Mm -hmm. so hard to be in a place of uncertainty. So we cling on to something that we know even if it's not healthy for us and that can be like you know a toxic relationship or you know a job that we hate or whatever it is just because we're not sure what's on the other side but being able to leave room for some unknown possibility to happen I mean you have to so you have to be able to sit in that discomfort a little bit and sit in that uncertainty and find some space there to be able to allow for something else to change. Yeah. And it's not easy, but um, it's really vital. So I think that that really, the yoga practice, the meditation practice really helps in 
learning how to sit in discomfort and, you know, breathe, breathe yourself through it. Because yeah, you said over the weekend that was one of the things that you now do if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of moving towards uncomfortability. I think it's yeah. a beautiful practice. Yeah. Because yeah. that's when things have an opportunity to open. And you never know, like, I always say, like, I don't know what I'm in love with that I'm not in love with yet. Or, like, I don't know what my, like, favorite book is. I might not know what my favorite yeah. book is yet. Or, like, people say, like, where's your favorite place in the world? I'm like, I don't know. I might not have been there yet. Yeah. Because so, it's always changing, everything. It's always changing. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know. So it's this, yeah, it's like leaving leaving room. Like, don't sell yourself short. Yeah. So. It's allowing your comfort zone to get bigger. Yeah, and it's that's what growing experience. pains are. Yeah. You know, yeah. literally, it's expanding your comfort zone. Yeah. But it creates, I mean, some growing pains have to happen. So just invite them in and yeah. the rewards are worth it. Yeah, let's just take that big deep breath. Yeah. If your life's not at risk, just try it. <laughs> right. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you so much for the, the weekend workshop. It was totally awesome. If you get the chance to go to a workshop with Cole, please get along to one if, or go on one of our retreats. Where are the best places for people to find you on social media? Um, Cole Chance Yoga on Instagram and Facebook. And then I teach online on YouTube. So I have a ton of free classes on YouTube. So you can type in Cole Chance Yoga or my channel is called Om Yoga Tribe. And I kind of film while I'm traveling, so I have videos from India and Bali. So Om Yoga Tribe on YouTube or Cold Chance Yoga Facebook, Instagram. Same with my website, Cold Chance Yoga. So I'm all over the place, <laughs> literally. Cool. I'll put all those links into the show notes so that people can awesome. find you dead easy. Anyway, cool. all right. Thank you very much for mm-hmm. being on. Yeah, yeah. Stop in all the right places. So that was the amazing interview with Cole Chance and I just want to say that if you are struggling with an addiction then please reach out to somebody, seek help, contact the support group, contact A or any, just speak to somebody and know that you're not alone in this journey, there are people there that have gone through it, there are people there that are experienced that can really help you deal with this and get through the other side but as we mentioned in the podcast if you are struggling with an addiction you have to want to change nobody can talk you into it nobody can get you there before you're ready and even if you're not ready it's still not too early to start speaking to somebody maybe something that somebody says will just plant that seed that will move you forward in the right direction So please don't suffer in silence, don't suffer alone. Take care.